What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the Highlight of Business podcast for business people. And I'm really freaking happy today because I got one of my oldest business friends. Uh, I wish Austin was here on the show today because he'd actually get to talk to somebody who saw me in action at the barbecue restaurant. He could validate half the barbecue stories I tell on this thing all the time. <laughs> Brandon Arvey, the founder and CEO of uh, Brandon78. Brandon, welcome to the show, man. How you doing? Yeah, man. I really appreciate it. Doing great. Really Really happy that we actually get to reconnect. It's been a little bit, so this could be. A lot I know. Of fun. Well, we used to be part of like a little mini marketing group, mastermind type thing. It's, not, it's nothing official, but it was like we would just get coffee at some local shops there in town and just talk about what was going on. And yeah. me and you and like three or four other guys. And yeah, I think you're yeah, actually responsible. Yeah, you're really like responsible for branded seventy eight. So thank you for that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I take zero credit. And, well, you uh, you're the one that like put everybody in the same room. So, well, yeah, I, uh, I'll remember great. that when you start making billions of dollars, I'll be like, Hey, you remember how you said on camera, uh, recorded, yeah, you that, said it uh, on live. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to need a, a piece of that, Brandon. No, I'm, I'm right. super happy. It's been so fun to watch your, uh, watch your growth over the last four years. Cause you started this like right at the end when I was, uh, it was like a six month overlap where Lyle's barbecue was sort of fading out. And then I was going on to do my next thing. And then you guys were ramping up at Brandon 78 and, uh, it took off. But, but what I know about you is that you're a music doctor, a literal doctor of <laughs> yeah. music. And I feel like you should be the one in Nashville and I should be the one in Lexington. I feel out of place here with all these Belmont grads. Like <laughs> how does somebody go from loving music like that, uh, to being in marketing. I, like Explain that transition to me. Well, because very quickly, things that you love and have passion for, like music, become a job that doesn't feel like love and passion very much anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, you'd, I know you're well aware the state of uh, higher education right now is sort of in flux. There's just a lot of things going on there. Uh, the pandemic certainly didn't help it. Um, it's actually now put a magnifying glass on it in such a way that like now just more people are aware of the issues. You know, we have what mm-hmm. five, five million fewer people that are trying to be freshmen in college uh, for the upcoming academic year. So uh, there's a lot going on there. Um, you know, I'll give you sort of the short version off the cuff and hopefully I don't ramble too much, but the, the quick version as I can put it together would be the more that you climb the food chain, if you will, you know, I was a doctoral student who was teaching as a TA. So effectively a faculty member, you get treated like a faculty member. So you get to see some of the, the inner workings and the behind the scenes conversations that faculty really have that most students never get to see. Uh, and you start hearing about how they're actually more recruiters than they are teachers. You know, if you're there to be a creative person and a professional musician, for example, well, that's very much secondary to the job of recruiting. Uh, just for example, at UK, they're required to have a certain number of freshmen, or not freshmen, of undergraduate students to outfit like the concert bands, for example. And there are three of them. They need six people in each one. So what does that do? That forces the major professor in the percussion section to have a minimum of 18 students at all times as undergrad students. Whether they're qualified or not, they have to have warm bodies to outfit those jobs. Mm. Uh, and so they accept people that normally, you know, 10, 15 years ago would have been rejected quickly. They're now getting accepted. And so 
then you talk to some professors and you're like, why are we giving people passing grades when they can't do the bare minimum fundamental things? And you're like, well, the market will take care of them. And I'm like, well, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't feel ethical to sit here and take their 24 mm-hmm. grand a year to teach them things. And they're showing up not prepared. They don't even try. It's not even a thing of like not trying and underachieving. It's a, they're not even trying, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, that became a whole thing. And, you know, you start just seeing the amount of ego that goes into it. You know, we're talking specifically about me and my my history with like classical music, uh, which really only exists either on stage as an orchestra or within an institution like a school. And when you start looking at it, it's like, why are we, what is this? This is actually a historical study. This is not relevant current music. You know, people that are in classical music would push back and be like, oh my gosh, there's all this contemporary music being published all the time right now. Well, yeah, because we've manufactured a marketplace for it with these people that are on stage playing things like oboes and bassoons, which nobody even knows what those things sound like or what they are by name. So anyway, it's just like I became totally at odds with why are we here? Uh, You know, I was teaching at a school nearby. Um, When I started, I had two students that each were 30 minute private lessons. So it took me an hour to drive to the school. I would teach for an hour, both of them, back to back. And then I would drive an hour to get back home. And actually, I would drive an hour north, so two hours, to get to my next gig. And it's like, by the time I left that school, I was teaching there for two years. By the time I left, I had 24 students and 26 contact hours, which is four hours less than full-time professorship. So mm-hmm. you look at the amount of work, it was very close to being full-time, which would have been benefits and, you know, proper salary and all those things they got away with paying me six grand per semester as a 1099 uh no benefits nothing so they basically got a full-time professor doing all this stuff uh for absolutely no dollars um Mm. and like when i look at the checklist of possible musical things that i could want to do i was doing them playing in a professional orchestra teaching private lessons, teaching within schools, teaching high school, teaching drum corps, uh, performing and traveling the country, playing uh, solo recitals myself, playing on stage with other professionals, recording things. I was doing the entire checklist. Now, could I have bumped up in each one of those categories to maybe a more well-known organization? Sure. But like when I was looking at it, I was like, you know, the path to get to a bigger organization wasn't something I really wanted to climb. And when I looked at my wallet every month and I'm, I literally had 11 jobs at the same time and I was only making $1,800 a month as a full-time professor almost. And with the crazy teaching schedule on the weekends and everything else, it's like, this is, there's no room for growth here. There's no way I'm paying off student debt that I have from going to school for 10 years. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you got to, you start having real conversations with yourself. And, you know, through my doctorate, um, I was fortunate enough to study under Jim Campbell, who's one of the premier people on planet Earth in the percussion world. You go look up his name, Jim Jim Campbell Percussion, yes, millions of things are going to pop up with his face on it. He's responsible for a lot of patents and other teaching things and pedagogy. Uh, so I was super fortunate to be with him. And the great thing about Jim is he's super uh, business oriented, especially with grad students, helping you understand that 
Um, like for example, I would ask him like, Jim, why do you write so many music that you do? Cause a lot of the music he writes is for middle school or high school. He's like, well, it's not art, it's commerce. He's there to make money. And he found a white space that you could actually do that. And so it was really interesting to sit down with somebody like him, who's uh, in a bunch of um, halls of fame for the musical space and, and things of that nature. Um, and just pick his brain and being under him, I got to see, well, let me put it this way. Being under him, he brought a lot of major um, art artist relations people, AR people, I couldn't think of the term for a second, uh, onto the campus. And they would interact with the students. And we got to go to lunch or you know have drinks after school or whatever with them. And uh, so I got to see a lot under the hood, which was great. Mm-hmm. Uh, super helpful. And... So that allowed me to start doing the things to market myself while I was still in school as a full-time um, musician as a full-time professional musician. So by leveraging the information I was gaining there in my time as a, a student, and I got to leverage the name UK, which I very much helped. Uh, now I'm actually endorsing artists for Yamaha Corporation, Innovative Percussion, and Grover Pro Percussion. And those things wouldn't have happened without you know, learning a lot of the business side of, of things and being basically a solopreneur, uh, you know, from the get when I got to campus. And so anyway, I say all that to say there was a natural bridge there. There's the frustration of what's going on and looking down the, uh, at your future, you know, it's like, well, school is almost over. I'm about to be out of like this part of life and going to be a professional, you know, full-timer somewhere doing something, hopefully. Um, what does that look like at the same time getting married and engaged and having kids? It's like, there's a lot of conversations that have to have happen, you know? Um, and about the same time, my wife was doing retail and I was helping her just on the side, you know, as a spouse would (laughs) and helping her market what she was doing. And I was finding that the more and more I was being creative and thinking, okay, what did I do as a professional musician? How does this parallel to what she's doing in retail? Oh, we're just talking about people here. It doesn't matter that you're talking music or if you're talking a t-shirt or something of that nature. It's people at the end of the day. It's about attention and funnels and all the things, you know? Um, And so I was having a lot more fun helping her with the retail because I was helping her and she was growing. Natural word of mouth. Other people in the retail space reached out for some help. And so I was like, uh, there's something to this. And I started helping even more people in retail. I had a lot of musical people reach out as well because I started talking about how I was doing marketing things and just literally documenting what I was doing as I was doing it. Um, and so, yeah, it just had a lot more opportunities coming my way. And it became one of those things where I know you just went full time with High Beam recently. It kind of became the same thing where it's like, okay, I can kind of turn up the marketing dial and turn down the musical one um, mm-hmm. and just, you know, naturally happened that way. And I don't wake yeah. up any day missing music at all, <laughs> mm. which is wild. So that's crazy. After yeah. 10 years, that's, that's wild. I, but yeah. I do, I do want to park right there for a second. Cause I do think for anybody out there that's thinking about starting their own thing, um, the whole turning up one dial while you turn another one down is a great way to do it because yeah, like you just said, uh, about a month ago, I made the full-time switch to be high beam full-time. And uh, I had a day job that I was working 40, 50 hours a week on for the last year and a half. 
all while building high beam on the side. And the reason I did it that way this time and not the first time was that when the barbecue restaurant happened, I basically had a contract with the Air Force that ended. And then a week later was selling barbecue on the side of the road out of a tent making zero dollars. And uh, I thank God my wife had a job and we had a little bit of money in savings because we pieced it all to get together just to stay open mm-hmm. for that first year uh, while we, we built some things out. So uh, it's cool to see a sort of there's a trend line of success. It's like the people that burn the boats and go from broke day one before they have any sort of like track record or know what they're doing or have any experience yet. Um, the, the likelihood they fail goes way, way up. So uh, I, yeah. I, I really I. I, I, it makes me feel better to be like, okay, cool. I didn't waste the last year and a half. I did the same thing Brandon did, and now I'm uh, we're on the right track here. So now you yeah. got Brandon seventy eight. You turned the one dial down. You turned this one up. Now you're all in it. Who's yep. the like ideal customer for you guys at Brandon seventy eight? Like, what are the services you guys do? Because mar- the one thing I've learned building and growing a marketing agency for the first time versus the barbecue restaurant, it's kind of like a barbecue restaurant in that each restaurant has its own region, has its own specialties. You know, marketing businesses end up being like some Excuse are really me. good at content, some are good at mm-hmm. design, some are good at uh, X, Y, Z, paid ads and high beams case. And so, like, where do you guys land at Branded 78 and why did you yeah. think that? Well, and, you know, one of the, the earlier engagements that I had um, that wasn't – I don't think it was technically under Branded 78 or anything, but it was more just me. But, you know, you and I talked about Facebook ads and things of that nature – you know, it's one of those things whenever you decide that, like, I'm going to have a side hustle, for example, and it's going to be in marketing. And yeah, you know, early on when I had musical people reaching out to me or the retail things I mentioned to you, uh, there would be the question of like, hey, can you help me do this graphic design thing? And it's like, you know, usually pretty low level. And I'm a pretty curious person that uh, understands tech and uh, being creative pretty quickly. So uh, yeah, I'll help you out with that. <laughs> you know, you say yes to things, you know what I mean? Cause you're just mm-hmm. trying to, you're trying to start, you're trying to learn what you like, what things maybe you don't like. Um, and just trying to build a portfolio at the same time of work that you could go out there and, and show to maybe more appropriate people, uh, more appropriate clients for what you're interested in capable of doing. So anyway, um, Yes was the answer to a lot of things. And fortunately, over the last handful of years, we've been able to say no to a lot of things as we start to narrow. Okay, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. What do we want to do? So when we look at the portfolio right now, it's, uh, you know, I I know it's it's kind of a nebulous term to say content creation, but mostly it's video production as it relates to content. Uh, So think... I hate to relate it to somebody like this, but like an Alex Hormozy type person all the way to making product photos or product yeah, photos and videos for uh, local restaurants, things of that nature, um, to the distribution part and actually taking control of the channel and actually writing the captions and doing all the scheduling of, of content and community management. You know, you got incoming DMs and things of that nature. You need somebody to respond, take that off your plate. And probably most importantly with community management, going and proactively finding conversations to inject yourself into. Um, those are the primary kind of things that we've done. But, you know, like saying content creation is so, it continues to evolve. I mean, we've done a number of projects all the way from shooting with uh, Oscar Shibway, who's a former, I guess, is he former still? Yeah, former National Player of the Year at UK. Um we did a collaboration with them in Influxer, which is an NIL company, um, where essentially they had a third party 
production team in Nassau in the Bahamas because he's a, a foreign student here on a student visa. He couldn't make it a dime in the States. So they had to wait for them to go to the Bahamas when they were there for basketball, basically mm. pull him out for a few hours, film a bunch of commercials that he got paid for, and then go back to basketball. So they had a third-party production team down there take a bunch of photos and videos and, and stuff and then ship a ton of green screen stuff to us to then fill in the rest of it. So, like, uh, there's a company in town. I don't even think they've put the thing out yet, which is wild. It's been a, about a year now. Uh, but Longship, it's a – I think they do storage containers on, on you know, ships sense. going across the, yeah. the ocean. Um, Fun fact, that's called intermodal. I know okay. that now. I, let me type <laughs> that out. I know this now too. Uh, but yeah, long and short, they wanted to recruit college aid students for their sales division. And so they wanted, mm. we did basically a spoof of the office of Oscar mm -hmm. sitting in front, like in the conference room, you know, like you see over his shoulder, all the stuff. So yeah, we had Oscar in front of a, a green screen acting things out in the Bahamas. They sent us stuff. We went to Longship and filmed all the rest of it that would sit behind him. Um, and put it all together in posts. So we did stuff like that. Christie's International Real Estate, whenever they announced that they were moving here to Lexington, we put a whole uh, launch video together for them, all the way down to, like I said, the mom and pop kind of stuff here locally. So uh, it, it still seems a little open as far as like the scope of what we're capable of doing, whether it's commercial, television, or you know, Facebook ad content. Uh, but mm -hmm. it, it's at least very much narrowed to the video component in the distribution side of things. Yeah. Well, that's what we see uh, pretty much across the board um, from every business that we work with is that you have to be creating some sort of video content today. You know, it's, it's, it's almost cliche at this point to say it. Uh, you know, we've been saying for a decade now that every business has to become its own media company. And with the, the rise of Facebook back in the day, all the way up to Instagram and now TikTok, God forbid, like, you know, YouTube, you, you have to be good on camera or you have to have somebody that's good on camera or your product has to be really easily featured on camera. Because if you don't find a way to do video, uh, it just organic is basically non-existent to you at this point on the different social media channels. And then uh, even if you're going to run paid ads, um, we, we always see lower CPMs when you're running a really high engaging, well-produced video, kind of like what you guys are describing here. I think, especially if they're recruiting local college kids there in Kentucky, like that video will crush. I, I hate that it's not out. I'd love to have gone and seen that. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm still waiting to hear if I can actually like put that online or on our website is yeah. something that we've been part of, you know, there are That'd NDAs awesome and other study. things in the background. So, yeah. Probably not supposed to tell you details, but whatever. There they are. That's <laughs> fine. So I, I got to – I so that's a good picture of what you guys are doing. But the next question has yeah. to be like you are a – you know, just I know from our conversation. So mm -hmm. I know you're a – you're very cerebral. You're thinking about these things on a different level than a lot of people a lot of times. But like when you think about marketing in general for businesses out there, like what would be the thesis – that either you run on or branded 78 runs on, like what is the like sort of one marching line that you give everybody? And maybe it changes a little bit throughout time, but usually there's like a core message that you believe in when it comes to marketing businesses. Yeah. I mean, I think this is why you and I uh, have such a long friendship at this point, because we come from a similar vein as far as like just, you know, going where the underpriced attention is. And I know that this is a, 
Gary Vaynerchuk term, and I hate that you know I can attach it to somebody, but it is what it is. Um, he's the first person to sort of wake me up to that concept or like to say it in such a way where I go, yeah, okay. That's what I've been doing this entire time, you know? Um, but it, it's still very much that, um, I mean, in looking at what's actually performing, you know, so attention is everything. And that's what we're doing here and really trying to figure out because most uh, clients, when they come to us, they say like, well, we want to do some videos. And I'm like, well, what's it for? Like, what do you, what are the goals? What are we trying to make happen? This is for awareness. Uh, so, you know, that puts you on certain platforms. It gives you certain talking points. It positions you in a slightly different way. Um, are you trying to just re-engage people that already know you? That gives you different leverage and things to be able to talk about. So, uh, you know, gaining attention and knowing what you're trying to do with it is everything. So whether it is television, if it's Facebook, if it's books if, or the billboards, is it the little things that real estate agents put on shopping carts at Kroger, you know, like anywhere that you're putting your stuff, you have to know why are we doing this? And, you know, what are you trying to make happen on the back of the attention that you're get, hopefully going to get from it? So hopefully that yeah. answers the, the question. No, no, it, it's good. And it, it, you know, we've been doing a lot of speaking this year to different small business owners and usually what ends up being one man marketing bands is sort of what we've started calling them. You know, it's the one marketer on the team that they have a fancy title like marketing manager or marketing director, but it's literally them. Mm -hmm. And then maybe they have a little bit of budget to go out and hire a, a contractor or two. And for the most part, it's just them making stuff up as they go. And <laughs> uh, what we have, what we have found that almost everybody ends up struggling with is that they just don't have a plan. They end up doing what we call random acts of marketing. And that's sort of the uh, that's the rallying cry we have here at Highbeam is like just don't do random acts of marketing. Like, yeah. do what you're talking about here is like, why are you wanting to run a video? That's great. I would love to to help you do that, and I'd also love to get paid to do it. But <laughs> long term, what I know you know is that you're not going to have a long term relationship with this client, and it's not going to be great for your brand as branded seventy eight if you just take people's money and don't actually help them deliver the result they want. Because then they're going to go out yeah. and do negative word of mouth, which is five times more powerful than positive. Right? Well, you know, what's funny is we had a, a client recently. Um, I don't know if you want to say that they fired us, but it basically, we sort of drifted apart. Let's put it that way. Um, in a, in a positive way, but I think it was one of those things where like, literally we sat down weekly and I would throw a bunch of questions at them to answer. And I think off the back of me asking certain questions that they never really understood themselves and by doing this on a regular basis, it got them actually thinking about their own business and like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Uh, mm. Got them to go, you know what? I'm going to put a pause on why I'm spending any of this. I don't even know why I'm doing video. Like that was basically it. It was like, you know what? Mm -hmm. Good. Like, because you start to feel that in a relationship too. You know what I mean? You start feeling mm -hmm. like, oh, why am I going to this? I'm going to film something. I don't know why I'm filming this. Uh, they're going to show up and be like, I don't know why I'm paying for this, you know, and there becomes this natural like thing. And uh, that happened, which, you know, it happens from time to time. But I think it's actually a positive because this person is, you know, spending money or at least trying to find clarity on why they're doing what they're doing. So mm -hmm. that's always a good thing. You know, even if we're making yeah. less money, if they're actually moving forward on the back of that, then good. Yeah, long-term relationships are going to always win out. It's always harder from a cash flow standpoint over the next 90 days to get yourself to understand that, especially while you're waiting on the next 
uh, deal to come in or find the next deal. Um, but we have to have the long-term relationship of like, I'm going to be in business for as long as I want to be in business. And if I, yeah. if I mistreat this person and I don't have their best interest at heart, whether they believe me or not, uh, that will not work out for me in the long run. And the businesses that win and stay around, they have a long horizon. They look way out in the future and that's all they care about. Now they worry about the micro and they do the day-to-day -day stuff as well. But like overall, the vision that they've cast for their company really has to matter. So yeah. And uh, even I if you don't know what it is, at least be asking yourself what, what that is, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I, cause yeah, like the early days in trying to dial up the marketing, turn down the music is like, well, what I'd ask myself that same question a lot, you know? And that's mm -hmm. why it was yeah. like, yeah, I'll say yes to the graphic things, to the video, uh, stuff, to Facebook ads and everything else, you know, cause I, there's no clear answer there, but it, I was asked, Asking myself the question, which is most important, then going and doing it and figuring out on the backside, like, am I enjoying this? Uh, do I feel like I still have the expertise to be able to, to do that? Uh, what are the, some knowledge gaps? You know, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Keep your yeah, eyes. No, that's good. Your eyes on the prize, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the, you know, as an entrepreneur, you know, this, uh, the shiny object syndrome is a real, uh, real fat problem for us. So uh, I, yeah. I try to avoid it altogether. <laughs> So I, I want to ask you now, I got to ask about your hot button issue here. So the the thing I know that I've, you've been railing against for the last probably six months, maybe a little longer. Uh -oh. even, I've been railing is, against uh, something. I didn't mean to. Oh, yeah. If I oh, been. oh, yeah. It's uh, okay. it's well, it's user generated <laughs> content, a.k.a. Oh, yeah. okay. UGC. Yeah. And uh, so take a second right. and tell everybody what it is. Yeah, I knew. So take, <laughs> take a second and tell everybody what, what it is according to you and then tell me why you hate it so much. And following you on LinkedIn is the best. And I recommend everybody go find Brandon on LinkedIn and follow me. He puts out great content all the time. But, you know, you will quickly learn. The man does not like most, I would say 98% of UGC in the market. It's not the UGC itself. It's how the UGC gets created and then leveraged. That's where the, the issue is. So UGC is user-generated content, as you said. And back when Instagram really started doing its thing in like 2015, 2016 through 2018, you started getting influencers, right? Um, but before influencers were sitting there in your DMs... Um, you had normal people, you know, your business is on there, whether you sell a t-shirt or your car wash, it doesn't matter. People would go to the barbecue restaurant all the time. People would take yeah. pictures of stuff and then tag us in it. Oh my gosh. This food is so good, yeah. right? They're taking a photo mm -hmm. and they put it on Instagram and they happen to tag Lyles. Um, and then you're sitting there on your side and you go, Oh, there's a, no Oh, there's a notification. Oh, look at this person, what they said. And then you go and engage with them. Right. And it was this mm -hmm. very organic thing of just, it was a, customer that just posted something for their friends and family to see about an experience they had at a place that they genuinely either really enjoyed or really didn't, you know, move mm -hmm. them to post about it. And that was it. Uh, there was no expectation of anything else to happen. What's happened in the last handful of years, especially during COVID, because influencers couldn't go out and do some of the things that they typically do, they've figured out, oh, if I go and I just kind of front the money, I'll buy this product or user service, then I'm going to make content while I'm doing it. They're with the sole intention of doing this, right? They're not using the, the product for fun because they just want to be a user of the product. They're going and they're purposefully finding brands that maybe don't have some content that's already being made. They're going and using their product or service, paying the money, making content on it, 
uh, and then sending an email or a DM to them saying like, and holding the content hostage for ransom. Basically, that's how I see it. Like, hey, I made a, a bunch of videos using your stuff. Uh, if you'd like some of the videos to post, here are my rates for those. And it's kind of flipped things upside down, you know? And it's like, that's not user-generated content. That's basically marketing content as if you had an in-house marketing person go in and ask for this. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So it, It's kind of like building a house on spec. It's like you're a housing development company and you're going to go out and build a house and then say, if you want to live here, uh, you have to pay for it. But then they, you kind of built it on somebody else's land. So the analogy may break down a little bit, but yeah, it, but it's, uh, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. So that to me, it, it, the reason I don't like it is again, if we, we talk about what we spoke about a moment ago, attention and reputation and brand is everything, you know? So if you do things that are maybe, you know, we can argue about the ethical quality of this, but if you do things that just don't feel right, that maybe feel like lying or the intent isn't genuine, people will eventually sniff it out. Mm -hmm. So UGC was totally the entire reason anybody ever used it pre-COVID. I say pre-COVID because that's when like the new version of UGC has really started. So like the OG version of UGC and real customers is posting about you and that's it. The power there was that's real word of mouth by an actual person that really loved your stuff. So the end user could really trust that I see that photo and I know that that person put that there on their own. There was no relationship between the creator of that content and the brand. So I can trust that. Mm -hmm. And now we completely have undermined that because now the creators are going and holding this stuff hostage for a ransom and accepting money for what they've made. And now this is just, you know, basically a paid actor. And people don't like the celebrity stuff nearly as much as they like something from a real user. So yeah, on social media. So is the is the issue more for you that um, that this person sort of making this work on spec and then not like sort of like I mean like let's say it's just been mislabeled as UGC. Like take away the UGC word here. Sure. Do you have a problem with the actual like the act of what they're doing there as as, as it comes to marketing a business? I think that using UGC or using video in general is always smart. But I, what I'm saying is like the, the testimonial quality there, there is no actual testimonial here. UGC mm -hmm. is supposed to be and has been built on and still gets pushed to people as a testimonial. Hey, I mm -hmm. went to this barbecue joint. Look at the pulled pork. It looks amazing. Uh, the macaroni and cheese is like the cheesiest thing I've ever had in my life. And oh my God, the cheesecake is great too. Like you got to go here, right? Like that's great when it's an actual just word of mouth engagement. That's the power of even doing it in general. We fake the testimonial part. We fake that that was organic and it wasn't because there's money on the backside. Now, if we actually position it as, as just like, a creator made this video for us. Well, that is different to me. You know what I mean? Mm. I'm not trying to fool you to make you think I'm just a genuine user that happened to like this. I'm, I'm somebody, I'm a paid actor, you know? Yeah. So yeah. that's the, the well, difference to me. I, I know that's been an issue for these social platforms trying to get people to put like, you know, hashtag ad or is this paid placement or something like that. Yeah. There's so much of it. I don't know how much of it actually gets labeled properly. Um, but it really is a, 
for me, it's a buyer beware situation. If you're on social media now and um, it's it's been, oh my gosh, we're coming up on like 20 years of us actively using social media. And especially if you're older, like a, uh, let's say a millennial, uh, Gen X even, like you, you should know better at this point. Like you have been around enough. Like you were there when Facebook uh, only had organic and then it like introduced ads. And like, it's, it's a, uh, yeah. if you see somebody on there promoting something, uh, you should do your own due diligence before you just snap it and, and go buy it. Um, that's, that's, that's my thought at least. Now on the businesses side of things, I do, uh, I don't love that it's called UGC because I think that I'm with you. I think ethically that's a different, um, that's a different model. Like UGC is a fan of a thing that wanted to talk about it so much that they went through the pain to either make a photo or make an actual video, which as we both know, cause we do it all the time, takes forever and is must be a labor of love. If somebody's going out of their way to right. do it for free just to promote a company. Um, so I, I do have an issue with it being called UGC because it's not UGC. You're right. It is a, uh, it is a like, I really don't care what they call the it, term. but my problem is yeah. that already had a definition and they're trying to like, yeah, they're trying to use the same word yeah. and redefine it in a skeezy well, way. That's what I don't like. Because the thing is like UGC is the most effective form of advertising on the planet because it's like word of mouth on steroids. Uh, back in the day, if I liked a barbecue place, I could only tell you, I couldn't really tell other people at the same time. But when it comes to UGC stuff on a TikTok or an Instagram reels or Facebook reels, even now, like that video can reach 10,000 people in two minutes. And so yeah. it's a, uh, it is, it is what I think is going to happen if I, I'm not a big predictor. I'm more of a reactor to the market and where it's at. But if I had to predict something for UGC, I think we're going to end up in the next 12, maybe 18, 24 months in a world where everybody's like, oh, this is just an ad. I don't actually trust any testimonials on TikTok anymore. I think it's going to be the death of all UGC because really smart marketers right now are figuring out like, oh, I can leverage this underpriced attention back to what we were talking about earlier which is user-generated content. It is still underpriced. But if people figure it out and it actually floods the market, like even more so than it is now, because it's not quite as bad as I think you think maybe it is now, but like it is, I think it's got room to grow. And when it gets up there and like, my, my barometer is always like my mom. When my mom starts bringing stuff up to me, it's like, it's gone all the way up and down the wall of diffusion. Like it, it's it's on the other side of the curve now. Like it is it is now a, yeah. uh, that, that medium is dead. Uh, in yeah, that way. that's funny that you say that because I do the same thing. I use my parents as sort of a barometer for where we're at. If it's on their radar, then oh yeah, it, this is yeah. definitely at scale. Um, yeah, I mean, I view everything as a uh, pendulum, and so you know, if we went from, geez, all media basically being controlled by the people that control it, to now social media and UGC sort of being you know democratized media. Uh, we're going to start swinging back in some shape, not exactly yeah. back where we were in a progressive version of it, but like, yeah. you know, it, it's easy as, as somebody that makes content uh, for, you know, with a business for other businesses. Um, it's easy to be discouraged and look at the marketplace and be like, well, they're putting us out of business. These UGC creators that are just going out there and paying for the stake and selling it for 250 or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But it, again, because the businesses are slowly, and I say this as somebody that runs the opposite side of those accounts. 
I run accounts and manage accounts that we get the UGC creators coming into the TMs trying to, to give it to you, you know? So I've seen all sides of that. Um, I, you know, and how does it feel in that moment where you open the message? It feels weird. It feels out of place. And because of that, I know other people are going to start feeling it if they haven't already. Uh, and I know that that means that, yeah, to your point, this like this UGC thing is going to the the trust that they're hoping to build with that is going to diminish because people are just going to figure out what that is, like you said. Yeah. And it's just going to swing back to something that's a little bit more professionally done. And we could tell like, oh, the brand... They must have some staying power because they could afford to do this. They could have a professional pay for this, you know, mm -hmm. and I could tell the difference between a customer and a brand uh, engagement here. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. This just popped in my head while you were, while you were saying all that two things. One, it's like, it's almost like a Tarzan swing where we're like, we're on the right side and then we sort of swing back over to the left side, but we're always we're constantly a going forward. forward. Yeah. But we're moving forward hundred percent. Uh, but the other thing that came to my mind as you were, you were explaining that was at the end of the day, great businesses do blocking and tackling really well. They, they do the fundamentals of business building really, really well. And you and I play in the marketing space specifically. Um, so we, we know that discipline of business building uh, super well. And if you're going to build a successful brand on the back of marketing activities, which is not sales, sales is a totally different thing. Uh, they work in conjunction with marketing, but it's a different thing. And you're going to have to do the blocking and tackling well. It's like, does your brand have a consistent look, tone, and feel? Like, do you know what font your brand has? Do you know what color scheme your brand has? Do you have the right logo vector file? Like, that's yeah. on the most micro level. But even if you scale that up to your bigger guys right now, like, uh, I think about Apple as one of the largest companies in the world. And they are in, I think they're in a lot more trouble than anybody is seeing right now. Because I think, um, you know, they're harvesting fruit that, you know, frankly, Steve Jobs leadership planted 30 years ago. And um, it, it was such a strong field that they're still being able to like be one of the most profitable companies in the world, but they do not have the same brand standard brand connection tribe yeah. that they had. And that's problematic for them. They are very susceptible to somebody coming in and disrupting them. Samsung should be embarrassed that they haven't been able to figure that out yet. Uh, Sidebar, yeah. but uh, but but all yeah. these businesses have to do the blocking and tackling well. It's like you you can hack the system with UGC or like back in the day, you and I could run Facebook ads, spend five bucks, and ten thousand people see it. Right, like that was that was a great time. And like these yeah. are little hacks that like yeah, they give you a little bit extra juice. It might it might put a little bit of extra flame on the fire, but unless you actually know how to build a fire and you consistently build it and feed it and grow it slowly or organically and steadily and like rock solid. This, this little hack stuff is not going to work out for you. And in the long run, you're going to just end up chasing the next hack. And, and honestly, most hacks, they're from some internet guru that needed something to say on the internet that day. And like they made it up. They never <laughs> actually run a P&L. They never actually had to worry about cash flow. They never actually had to build a business. Yeah. So the crap they talk about just doesn't work. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, these allergies are just getting me, man. Um, the cold man. brew is not clearing the system like <laughs> I would hope that it would. Um, yeah, you're right. And the other thing too, is like, even if it's not really a, maybe a hack, which is like a short, uh, like trying to cheat the system. I, that's what I always kind of think of a hack being, but like back in the day, Lyle's barbecue, uh, you get the ad, you know, give us your email address and you get a free barbecue sandwich, right? That, 
that was the the bread that and butter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People do that now. And I'm like, do these uh, tripwire campaigns still work? I think sometimes. But I think even my parents, back to that barometer, are very much aware of what they're doing when they go to your website and it says 15% off, just give, give us your email address. What am I going to do? Mm-hmm. I'm going to put in the email address. I'm going to get the code, which is super easy these days to put in. Uh, or even you know Shopify, it will like pre-put uh, the code in there for you. And then just go and immediately unsubscribe. And so like the customer is now aware of this. So mm-hmm. it's one of those things of like, does it still work? Yes, but not nearly as much as it did before because people yeah. are hip to the game. They understand. Well, you know? I would say it doesn't work as well as it used to as a one-off strategy. Like I, I'm sure you and I both have either heard podcasts or seen a video or maybe even taken a course where they're like, hey, build your email list, build your email list, build your email list. And like, yeah, you should still, I think in 2023, build your email list. Um, but if that's all you're doing, if that's the only marketing, back to what we were talking about earlier, like having a well-rounded marketing plan, uh, you're going to be disappointed with the results because it's not going to give you what you actually want out of the thing. Like, you know, your your marketing plan has to include like content and co- social media management like you guys are doing, like paid ads, like what we're doing, mm-hmm. uh, stuff that you should be doing in-house from a like, hey, are we maintaining the brand standard, look, tone, feel? Are we running emails? Are we writing blogs? Like all mm-hmm. the things matter. And they all work together. Yeah. It is a uh, omni-channel, whatever buzzword you want to put here, full marketing mix plan. Uh, you have to do it all, and you have to do it all reasonably well if you want to actually get somewhere. Um, otherwise, so, you're just going to be subject to word of mouth and the infrequency that that uh, brings you. Yeah. Well, and like you were saying, doing all of it. Well, a lot of companies will say, well, we're not doing any of it. So how do we go from zero to 100? Do we actually do all of it? You don't have to do all of it. I think if you're just smart and you you have some uh, self-awareness, you know where you are. You know, mm-hmm. uh, If you're a new company, well, then, of course, awareness is everything. So, you know, like having those conversations of like, am I established? Like, what's actually hurting my business right now? Where do I really need growth and uh, some support? You know, and having those kind of conversations really drives you to understand where you're at. I mean, if you have a. If you've been around for 20 years and everybody happens to know you, do you really need the awareness? It probably wouldn't hurt to have awareness. There's new people moving to town all the time that have never heard of you or or whatever. Um, you know, if you have aspirations of going from your city to the state, from a state to a region, right? Like there are still more levels of awareness that are possible. You have to say, is that really what I need or want? Uh, if not, then it's like, okay, well, um, do things that maybe re-engage people. And to your point, it's like maybe... You know, even in the social media world, it's like you can have that conversation. Do I need awareness? Well, if I need awareness, I need to go to places that are blasting my stuff out to people as much as possible for me organically, like a LinkedIn or a TikTok or Instagram Reels, right? Uh, if I'm actually just trying to leverage social for reengaging people, I'm going to go to places where it's maybe not pushing out to those people, but it's going out to more of my followers. Maybe it's Facebook groups or pages now, you know? Uh, yeah. Maybe it's Instagram stories. Instagram photos. That's the yeah, or photos seeing. and carousel all your followers. And things, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, 
So in Twitter, depending on your company, might make sense too, right? So um, yeah, anyway. Twitter. That's a like, whole other podcast. I feel yeah, like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's just such a loaded thing. I think the biggest thing, like I started with, is understanding that no matter what you're doing, you're in the game of customer attention. Then you have to figure out what am I trying to do? Like I said, are we are we trying to drive sales? Um, because we have just a billion people waiting to buy. They're just like, oh my gosh, I, I know about you. Everybody knows about you. We just don't know how to buy you. Like most people mm -hmm. never have that problem. You know, yeah. uh, most people just have an awareness problem. Um, yeah. So anyway, really understanding those goals and what you're trying to make happen and understand what platform or platforms are best for that. And then trying to take some action. Uh, yeah. You got to at least start there. You know, what's funny is that a lot of people we meet with, they're like, hey, our product is good. We got word of mouth. It's great. Like, we're good. And the funny thing is, is that in a world of the internet and online reviews and, and supply chains being incredibly robust at this point in our lives, uh, the entry point for owning a business these days is a good product or service. Like, there is no lower model things anymore. Even your... Your cheaper cars today are still the nicer Dude. cars than yeah. nice the nicest cars fifty years ago. The suck bar is above average now when it comes to a business and service. Like if you don't deliver that, you're getting bad reviews online, and every half a star costs you <laughs> tens of thousands of dollars depending on the industry you're in. And yeah. so, at the end of the day, having a good product and service is not going to be enough. Like you're going to have to do what you're talking about, where you actually look at your business and go, like, yeah, we've been around twenty years. Um, We'll, we'll spend like 10% of our budget on awareness, but a lot of the other stuff is just going to be engaging the people that already buy with us and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, but what we see it time and time and time again is people just throw their hands up in the air and say, I bought a billboard. I bought a bus bench ad. I bought one of those dumb Kroger uh, shopping cart ads where they put the real estate face inside of the the damn kid's uh, yeah, little thing in there. Part, and it's like, yeah. no, yeah, I'm worried about egg inflation. I'm not worried about buying a house right now. This right. is like user intent inside of Kroger, right? And people just do a bunch of random crap. They got to have a plan like you're talking about. And uh, yeah, I think that's good. Well, and you have to think about why they do that. They probably sit there and go, well, everybody goes to Kroger um, and it costs. Oh, I know why they did it. And it costs almost I, nothing to do it, right? Running your business and then there's a good salesperson that happens to catch you on the right day. And you're like, I'll do the thing. We bought, we bought one time I bought, uh, uh, I bought ad placement on the back of receipts just mm. to see how that would do it. And, you know, I was different than most business owners, especially restaurant owners, because I wasn't in love with the restaurant. I was in love with the marketing stuff. Hence why I own a marketing agency now. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, a lot of it's just like somebody comes in and they sell you a radio ad and then you run it for three months and you're like, well, I don't really know if it worked or not. And, uh, cause you don't have a plan. You don't have a system. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, we're starting to have a relationship with one of the, the radio stations, actually conglomerates, whatever here in, central Kentucky and um, you know, they've been around for decades. Uh, they own the radio stations themselves, but now they've actually gone out because they understand the writing on the wall and they started digital departments, you know, running yeah. Facebook ads and, and things of that nature. But like, we're going to come on board and help with the creative side because they don't really have a, the team to actually execute that. So, you know, white label it, if you will, and have us do that. Um, yeah. But yeah, and what's great about that partnership and one of the things I wanted to vet out with them is are we on the same page with what I think radio is right now, you know? 
because you you turn on iHeartRadio and every so often you get a radio ad that's like, oh, we we're in ninety seven percent of households and whatever, uh, and I'm like, oh no, you are not, <laughs> absolutely not. Uh, you know, they'll try to tell you that a certain number of people are seeing or listening to your ad in a certain uh, period of time, and it's like what they're not telling you is they're trying to count some of the Nielsen stuff of like, we know the frequency of people walking through the mall. It's playing in the mall on the loudspeaker who in the world is walking through the mall at Fayette mall down the street and listening to the radio and not talking to their friends. You know, everybody's talking to each other. You can't even hear that the radio is on. on Why in the world did you just get credit for that? It makes no sense. So anyway, it's like, yeah, to your point, if somebody's trying to sell you a more traditional pathway, and saying like, oh no, it's not dead at all. They know that it's dead and they're just lying to you and they're desperate. If they're honest with yeah. you, they're going to say things like, yeah, you know, in cooperation with another avenue, uh, radio could be fantastic. You know? Yeah. It's part of your marketing mix. If you're Coca-Cola, buy all the radio ads you want. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, if, if you, you got the dollars, a barbecue restaurant in Lexington, don't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, all of it is relevant. Just it's relevant in proportion to your the size of your budget do you have the money to to put there cool then go do it why wouldn't you you know what i mean but if you're working with a few dollars you got to go okay i got a few dollars to spend where am i going to get the maximum Mm -hmm. return because that's what everybody wants to know and like you said marketing is not sales but what a lot of clients want to do drive sales off the back of the marketing it's like uh, they're related but it's not like we put up one post make one video and magically the market is just like yeah at you that's not how that works. Do you, do you know how many people I've recommended that they hire a sales director that builds out a cold car, cold call farm? Because that's what they mm. want to do. Like that's ultimately what you're trying to do. And you'll be much happier paying people 100% commission deals uh, than what I'm going to give you. And so just go do that. And yeah. especially at this light, like if you're sub million dollars in revenue, that's probably what you need to do anyways. Well, the other, you're not going to do it all yourself. The other disastrous thing that I've seen time and time again is corporations. <clears throat> at first they come and they're like yeah we want to do some marketing let's explore this and talk about it and then as you start to enlighten them about things that are going on they're having their backdoor conversations together in a room saying we could either hire for this or we could do this internally right and then they go and they hire internally and what does internal look like they're going to go and they they scrounge up like 45 grand, which is not nearly enough for a marketing director. You know, like mm-hmm. they put this thing out there and you're the marketing director at our place. Now this is a multi-million dollar company, but they're going to put together, you know, 45,000. Um, and they say, hey, well, hey, college kid, first job. Yeah. And that's they, who you're getting. Well, exactly. And then they come and they tell us like, Hey, we're going to put this on the, the back burner. We're going to take this actually in internal for a little bit until we, um, we bolster enough revenue for us to be able to outsource this. And here's what that looks like. They hire somebody of 45 grand. That's the marketing person. It's the only person with a marketing hat. So now they're the person that's doing the newsletters, the physical thing, like printing of letterhead. And they're in uh, Adobe Illustrator, like coming up with a new rasterized version of your, your logo. And like they become the catch all for anything marketing. And they have absolutely, and the whole reason you hired them internally was to do content. And the very last thing they will ever have time to do is make content. They will never make content for you. 
I've never seen a business that hired internally for marketing for content actually ever make content. I've never seen it for the people that have talked to me because they get bogged down in this other BS. So, you know. Today's fire does not not take precedence or shouldn't take precedence over uh, the year from now relationships we're trying to build, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's just... It's wild. And I know marketing could be one of those things that, um, you know, it's tough sometimes, frankly, talking about content with people. Because to your point, marketing is not sales. To say, we're going to put out X number of dollars, say it's a retainer client. We're going to pay you X number of dollars a month. How do we know that we have the ROI or any ROI from this, you know? And I'm I'm honest. And I'm just like, listen, you got to just... You do it, you give it a certain period of time that you think is respectful, whether it's six months or 18 months or something like that, and you just start feeling it. It's it's one of those very unscientific kind of things, but it's like, we're feeling busier. We had to hire another person over here to do this, another person over here to do that. And it's like, well, where do you think that activity came from? You know, so then you, ha- you know, um, I don't know, like to sit there and draw a clear line and say, you're spending X number of dollars on marketing and here's how much, uh, you know, to the penny you got from that. I don't think there's any way of doing that. Yeah. How do you discuss that I, with I, people? Well, yeah, that's the million dollar question. I tell everybody marketing is like farming. I mean, we're here to plant a field that's pretty barren and been destroyed from your previous activities. Yeah. Um, and we're going to try to rehab this entire field. And we're going to do it right. And we're going to do it long and we're going to do it slow. And it's going to take 18 months. We're talking about organic content, social media. There's some like ways to, and you know, this cheat the system or uh, make your crops run more efficiently if you have paid money to put behind ads. Um, but the long-term game is going to be building a brand. And what that means is that we're going to create a, a, the way we always define brand here is like you have one person that has a positive or negative story about you. And that's your brand. And then the size of your brand is 100% determined based on how many people have the same or similar positive story or the same and similar negative story. Yeah. And that's your brand health and brand size. And so you're when you look at it like that, you go, okay, I need to get as many people in my ideal customer profile as possible to know who I am and to have a positive experience with us. And one of the ways they can have a positive experience with you is that they saw a piece of content that Brandon 78 put together for you and then posted it on your social media channel or they saw an ad that Hybe marketing ran and it was like a value add ad, or it was a, you know, the the free sandwich and you get, uh, uh, for giving up your email. And that's like, that's a positive thing. It's like, yeah, sure. I'll come in. No risk, free trial, whatever. Let's do it. Um, at the end of the day, marketing is just relationship building. Like it is a hundred percent relationship building because if you look at, Another analogy I, I like to tell people is I'm like, if you're doing sales, okay, imagine you have a hundred people in front of you and let's say you're up on a platform and you're looking down at all the hundred people. They're all standing in like 10 rows of 10, two to five of them need what you do right now. Depending on the industry, it may be more slightly. It may be less two to 10 of them max. And so sales job is to cold call every day, all 100 people to find the two to 10. And then once they find the two to 10, you have to then influence and persuade on the phone in the moment, those people to buy today because they're in the mood today and tomorrow they might not be or worse, they'll find a competitor and go with them. And so that is what sales is. And that's why, um, that's why cold calling and building out sales teams is so effective 
for early stage startup businesses because it's just activity based. It's like, we're trying to get activity. We're trying to find those people. We're, we're mining for those people right here, right now. But the problem is, is that there's only two to 10. There's no like, like that model doesn't scale super well beyond a certain point. Yeah. And what marketing does is we look at the whole hundred people and we go, okay, organically, we're going to reach 30 of them a day, maybe depending on Facebook stuff. If we have some paid media budget, we could probably get it up to a hundred and then we can start talking about frequency, which is the number of times it's seen, yada, yada. And, but the, but the problem is, is that if I don't know who you are and I've never used your thing or worse, I'm, it's a new thing that I'm not even aware of, right? Like think, imagine you open a barbecue restaurant in the North east where a barbecue isn't a thing like you're having to educate the market now on what you do yeah so there's a lot of other factors about how effective or how long this actually takes to happen but what marketing is is that we show up every day to all those hundred people and we give them a consistent message or we give them consistent value or we give them something that builds brand equity with us so that when they're finally in that two to ten that are ready to buy they just think of us first Mm -hmm. we just want to be their guy for whatever the thing is, we want to be number one in their brain for that thing. And if you can, um, if the business owner or the marketing director, whoever it is, can actually internalize that that is what marketing is for versus what happens normally is that your sales director or your chief revenue officer, or whatever the hell you want to call that position, it's a salesperson that ended up in charge of both sales and marketing teams in an organization. They put their sales hat on and they go, hey, marketing, bring me leads. And then all of a sudden, all your activity is around running ads, getting people to fill out forms. And then do you know how I know this doesn't work, but it happens across the board? There's all these famous, hilarious memes and gifs and all the things about, oh, here's marketing delivering more leads and the salesperson's reacting going, that's garbage. Like it's literally a dumpster <laughs> fire. And like, why does that exist? Why does it exist? Yeah. And it exists because you're using marketing like a sales tool when it's, that's not what it's for. Yeah. I mean, I think about how Branded 78 continues to grow. Uh, I don't think we've ever, I don't think we've ever run a Facebook ad or anything of that nature. Uh, we don't have any sort of like cold sales mechanism. Um, and that's on purpose. When, especially when Branded 78 was just me basically doing stuff, it was very strategic as far as like, you know, cold calling people, like you said. To call two, call a hundred people, and maybe two people say something—that is not a valuable use of my time as the owner that is executing the work and doing the sales. You know what I mean? So, my approach to that was: I'm going to go find the biggest names possible that I can, and whether it's like do free work with them or just get to know them and get on their radar and be friends with them. Um. I'll be able to leverage their network and who they know because they know a lot more people than I do. And if I can get their trust in what I do, they're going to be able to go just like UGC, right? Like the power of that. Um, they're going to be able to say, I've used branded 78 before on a project and they were fantastic. Here are all my friends and my leads and right. Here's my Rolodex of people that I can hook you up with. And so doing that enough, it's gotten us in with people like Influxer and the Oscar Sheboy thing, the Christie's International thing, uh, some of the radio stuff and some other things that, uh, that we're up to. Uh, over the weekend, had three or four leads come in all by themselves off the back of, oh, I heard, you, I heard about you from XYZ. And none of that, 
there's been no like proactive sales going out there and pushing anything. It's all been on the back of networking and getting the right people in our corner and doing good work for them. Cause eventually you have to actually do the work too. And it has to actually be good. Right. It can't just be knowing people to your point about, um, I think you said this early on in our conversation. I'm going to pivot and, and say this too. I don't know how many restaurants have opened in Lexington that have great aesthetics and look like they're going to be cool. And they have great, what should be great offerings on their menu. And then you go eat it and you're like, mm, it's okay. Product sucks. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's beautiful in here, but food's okay. Yeah. It might be appropriately priced too, just because it's beautiful and the great service and whatever. If the, if the thing I'm actually here for sucks, then it all sucks at the end of the day. Cause I'm not going to think to come there to eat your food. You know what I mean? I don't mm-hmm. care how beautiful it is. And some people want to yeah. just rope you in with the aesthetic part. So it's a delicate balance about all of that stuff. Well, I don't know I, how I, I got there, that. but yeah. <laughs> no, but I, 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 it's a good point. I lived it. It was, uh, you know, Lala's barbecue was built for six straight years on the back of like, we do really good barbecue. And then we figured out all the other things around that product service offering that made a business healthy and successful. Um, and it's why we, it's why we stood out. It's why we worked. It's why we grew when so many other restaurants came and went in that same six year span. Um, then we tried to open up this monstrosity called Nash's, which was in a beautiful building, which was a beautiful build out, which was a hundred times nicer than any other restaurant I had ever opened. But the product and the service we provided sucked because we didn't, we tried to take a bunch of shortcut steps. We tried to, we didn't know what we were doing. There's a lot of reasons why all of them are fault and it didn't work. And the reason it didn't work is what you're talking about. Is like, I was the same marketer business owner going into that business. Um, we got all the press, we got all the Facebook ads going. We had a Facebook page. We did organic social. We did everything that we were doing for the barbecue restaurant, but it never worked because we never got the core product and service right. And, uh, I don't remember where I heard this originally, Maybe it was you even I, you know, if you have a good, if you have a bad product, you know, good marketing just will expose it faster. And that's a, uh, that's a bad place to be, you know, cause you're yep. burning cash and now you have people going out back to what we talked about earlier about how you build a brand. If you have a hundred people with the worst experience ever talking about you, um, that's bad. It's, it's just going to be impossible for you to overcome that. Yeah. Um, you know, I was just thinking about this with donuts as well, randomly. So are you familiar with the chain Parlor Donuts? Yeah. Okay, so Parlor just opened up here maybe about a year and a half ago. Uh, I own the Lexington Business Show, and I know about most things that open up in this town anymore. And I never knew that there was a parlor here. And the first time I went, I was like, wow, this is a beautiful place. Donuts look fantastic. Love the way that they put it together. But then you eat it, and it's like, it's good. I It's actually a great donut. But I'm like, it's still, there's something about that that does not pull me away from the things I already know. Mm. So even yeah. for some reason right there, it's like even a great product that they had, it was great service, smiles on the faces. Oh, yeah, we could do that for you. Absolutely no problem. Donuts came out fast. All the things you would expect from customer service, check. It was all there. But there was still something that was like, it still doesn't pull me away from a Spalding's or something else that's local that people love. Um, and honestly, I'm not sure what that is. Um, I think part of it actually might just be the hype because we were the only people there. 
And I'm like, well, this is really interesting. Is it an awareness problem? Like, I'm pretty tapped in, and I had no idea you were here until somebody else. My parents told me that it was here. My parents live in South Carolina. They knew that Parlor was in Lexington, and I had no idea it's down the street. So there's an awareness the problem. Along the diffusion curve. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's you know, and I, I could just be in a bubble with that one, but I don't think so. I think they have an awareness problem that they're even here. But and I think that moment when I was saying like, this is a great donut, and the customer service is here, and the aesthetic is beautiful. It's a great location near UK's campus. The part I think that might have been missing was just the community around it. It didn't have the other people in the restaurant in the vibe. You know what I mean? Mm. Like you go to yeah. a place, um, Butchertown Hall in Nashville. We were just there last week. And you walk in and it's this beautiful, like huge hall inside. It's got brisket. You know, it's uh, it's delicious food, great service, all that stuff um, that you would expect. And yeah, I think the thing that really drove that home for me was just the vibe. You know, you mm. had to get reservations. It's absolutely slammed with people people are having a great time talking loud just like you know what i mean the environment was missing at parlor so i think that that might yeah i'm working this out in real time so try not to yeah, ramble no, but I mean, i'm what, trying to figure out like what no, is that it, you know it's uh so if you're not just a digital company right which i think a lot of times especially on the internet we end up thinking like the only businesses that exist are digital which is super exciting for me because i love real in-person brick and mortar stores uh, it's, it's what I call four walls marketing. It's like when you come in to the building, what's the feel, what's the look, what's the tone, what's the ambiance, like all that stuff adds in, uh, to your branding and to your marketing. And that's what a, you know, a donut shop is very similar to a coffee shop. It ends up being a third place. It's where your family goes when you're not eating at home for breakfast. Maybe, uh, it could be where you have a, uh, cool little, um, business meeting. I mean, it's a third place, right? I think Howard Schultz originally coined that term, but you know, um, if you don't have a, like, if, you, if you're not thinking about the feeling of people once they come in, um, that should be the most scripted part of your whole business model. In my mind, we come in, we go here, we see these signs, these upsells happen. People are greeted like this. Uh, that's when that experience has to be really like 80 to 90% systematized with maybe 10 to 20% room for nuance and art. That was at least my role with the restaurant. Yeah. It was like, you greet everybody like this and then sort of like choose your own adventure. Like you don't have to get the order done in five minutes or five seconds, but like, you know, the, the, the guiding North star, at least that, that drove the art piece of that formula was uh, make people's days better. And that was really the, the thing you, you, that was part of the four walls marketing plan though, was like, you know, we had wood on the walls, we had a concrete floor, we had like horse gates in there. Cause you know, Lexington's big on the horse farm thing. So it was like, and then there was people in there talking and we had a certain kind of music playing, even the music playing, like what's on the TV really mattered. Like what still cracks me up to this day is when I go in restaurants and they have like Fox or CNN on, I'm like, it doesn't matter your affiliation, but like, <laughs> yeah. you're going to alienate 50% of the people that come in here. And depending on the County, maybe it's only 40%, but like, still it's a, basically a 50, 50 split. I'm like, why yeah. would you do that? I mean, you know, it's, it's a bad, it's just, it's just not thinking all the way through. It's not, I it's think not they think that I'm serving my, my customers, my clients by giving them something to be entertained when yeah. to your point, it, maybe it's this difference in philosophy about the purpose of those TVs, you know? For you, it sounds like it's there to enhance the environment and things that are going on. So to your point, 
um, you know, like moving art, basically, right? Like it could be, it could be something that's just aesthetically going on with what we're doing here. For them, it had a little bit yeah. more function of like, we're here to entertain you while you eat your food. Um, no, Sports Center, yeah, HGTV, Food Network. Those are the only yeah. like blocking and tackling. Don't mess around with anything <laughs> else. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Yeah. The best uh, side thing, and then I'll, I'll let you go here. The uh, the best thing we ever did was put up a TV uh, in the restaurant, and we had our YouTube channel, the Lyle's Barbecue YouTube channel, mm. streaming in a constant loop the whole time we were open. So we had, you know, uh, the Mama Lyle's cooking show was on that. We had my business blog was on that. And so you were just watching the characters of the restaurant, including employees that were there walking around. Uh, you got to see all of that happening on the tv and so it just added to the actual like the marketing plan that we had going on there and that was yeah. uh that was the thing i you know I'm, I'm like you i'm a content guy at heart i love media it's why i do this show it's why i will always be youtube first on everything and uh that was the thing i was the most proud of probably so yeah so brandon i appreciate you coming on man can you tell everybody yeah, how course. we can find you how we can support you and then uh you know you and i are going to sure. do a part two on your podcast in a couple months so i'm excited for that yeah no that's gonna be awesome um, and we'll probably just pick up the conversation where we are here. Probably some carryover, but yeah. Uh, branded 78 underscore on Instagram. Um, I think it's the branded 78 on Facebook, uh, because for some reason, branded 78 gets taken on all the platforms. I don't know who's taken it. Um, so but specific. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram at B dot A R V A Y. Um, Lexington business show, all one word, all lowercase on all platforms. So, yeah, if you want to learn about what we're doing, you can do that. Branded78.com as well. Um, yeah, I really appreciate your time. And, you know, again, we could do this all day. I could talk for another eight hours. One of the things I wanted to say was like confusing activity for achievement. That's actually a huge thing. Um, and we should just save that for my podcast, I guess. So anyway, yeah, like thank that. you That's again. Good. That's a good cliffhanger. That's yeah. great. I love that because <laughs> I've got plenty to say on that as well. We appreciate all you guys watching, listening, wherever you're getting this show. We appreciate it. We'll see you next week.